Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Once again, we'd like to welcome everyone who are here in person and all those who have joined online. And it's such a joy to be here in the house of God. I know that today is Good Friday. It is known to be the day to remember the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But, church, there is no biblical command that we remember Christ's death by honoring a certain day. If you go through the scriptures, the Bible clearly instructs us to remember Christ's death by observing the Lord's Supper. Paul writes to the saints in, 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 in Corinth, and this is what he says, Do this in remembrance of me. This is what the Lord says. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what about Good Friday? Well, Good Friday is that Friday immediately preceding Easter Sunday. We know that what the Jewish authorities and the Romans did to the Lord Jesus Christ was not good at all. However, the results of Christ's death are very good. We heard it was being read by Keith while he was leading the worship. Romans 5.8, it says, But God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, Peter writes, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So church, this death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary is for the salvation of mankind. So in fact, this bears a very powerful message, a message of salvation, yet this message is complex in many ways because it requires faith and exclusivity. So let me pose two fundamental questions to all of you. Question number one, is Jesus the only Savior? Is Jesus the only Savior? In other words, is the sin, sinless life of Christ and His atoning death and resurrection the only means by which the penalty of sin is paid and the power of sin is defeated? That's my first question. Question number two, is faith in Christ necessary to be saved? Is faith in Christ necessary to be saved? In other words, is conscious knowledge of Christ's death and resurrection for sin and explicit faith in Christ necessary for anyone and everyone to become the recipient of the benefits Christ has promised? So one theologian put it this way, there are three different groups of people. The first group, he calls it the pluralist. So to the pluralist, when you ask these two questions, is Jesus the only Savior? Is faith in Christ necessary to be saved? 
the pluralists would say no. The pluralists believe that there are many paths to God, just Jesus being one of them. I know that you'll have seen many people who belong to this category. Salvation can come through other religions and religious leaders, and people don't have to believe in Christ to be saved. That's one group of people. Then there's a second group that's called the inclusivist. Now, their answer to the first question, is Jesus the only Savior, is yes. But is faith in Christ necessary to be saved? The answer is no. To the inclusivist, even though Christ through Christ is though Christ is the only savior, people do not have to know about or believe in Christ to be saved. People can be saved by responding positively to God's revelation in creation. Now the third group is called the exclusivist. Exclusivist. For them the answers to both these questions are yes, which is, is Jesus the only Savior? Is faith in Christ necessary to be saved? The answer is yes. Most of us are exclusivist. First, that Jesus alone can accompli has accomplished the atoning work necessary to save sinners. That's what we believe in. And secondly, the knowledge of and the faith in Christ is necessary for anyone to be saved. Now comes the problem. Now this exclusivism or the exclusivist are not so popular. No welcome in our inclusive community that we are living in today. We are seen as extreme people, extreme thoughts. So what is an inclusive community? Let me explain that. It is a society where people of different beliefs, faiths, ideology, class, caste, sexual orientation, and feel good despite having basic differences. So church, the exclusivity of the gospel that I'm talking about is not palatable in our inclusive community. It, it can be offensive, it can be foolish, it can be discriminatory, and it can be divisive. So you may then say, Pastor, what do you mean by the exclusivity of the gospel? Most of you know this, but I'm just going to spell it out for us. By the exclusivity of the gospel, this is what I mean. Only those who personally, consciously, explicitly, and singularly confess Jesus Christ as Lord can possess eternal life. It's a very bold statement. It sometimes can appear to be a very arrogant statement. The exclusivity means to all of us, all believe, excuse me, for all believers, is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. End of discussion, end of the paragraph. There is no buts and ifs to the, attached to that statement. To this truth, the Bible has zero tolerance policy for any other thoughts to come in. So in other words, we are saying God saves us by His grace, we cannot work for our salvation, nor can we earn our salvation. We receive salvation as a free gift from God. He gets the credit, and we receive the gift of eternal life in Christ. But here's the problem, church. This particular school of thought, or this belief system, 
It cuts against the grain of the spirit of this modern age that we are living in. In this post-modern world, tolerance is the new virtue. If it feels right, do it. If it feels good, do it. An acceptance of every opinion about religion and morality is applauded today in today's world. We find ourselves preaching in a postmodern culture in which there are no moral absolutes. What is truth for one person may not be truth for another. So the globalization that we are seeing today, the postmodernity and the political correctness compel us to value the competing worldviews on every philosophy, every ideology. It has some contribution to the larger body of knowledge. That is the problem that we have today, church. So this exclusive nature of the gospel, as believers, we need to desperately guard it. A gospel message that does not present Jesus as the only way is not the gospel message at all. The singular nature of the Christian gospel must be proclaimed with conviction and clarity to be sure there is no other way of salvation. But sadly, church, today, there are many churches moving away from salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, and they are moving toward a message of salvation through social activism and good works. We just heard songs being sung about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. This old bloody message of the cross is being replaced by a bloodless message that lacks power and hope. You want to be inclusive? To be popular. You want to be inclusive not to offend anyone, to make everyone feel good, to attract larger audience, to prosper the message of the cross is totally, totally diluted today. Now, the diluted doctrine may benefit superficially the church and its leadership, but it will lead to spiritual death of the members and leading to eternal condemnation. Now, we see that more prevalent in the Christian circles today. And you know what, church? That's exactly what the Bible says would happen in the last days. And we know that we are all living in the last days. Bible says that in the last days, there will be a form of godliness, but the power of God is denied. That's what we are witnessing today. Let's see what the Bible says about the last days. And we are studying that in the men's group, and it's 2 Timothy 3. It talks about, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And it goes on to talk about the men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and so on and so forth. And he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And in the same passage, 2 Timothy 3, 13 says, but evil men and imposters, imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. When you dilute the gospel and we are presenting a gospel that is not the true gospel, you become an imposter. You become a deceiver. 
So my question to every one of us listening, how do we respond to this exclusive message of the cross? In the passage chosen for today, we'll see there are three responses to the message of the cross. I want every one of us to be honest to ourselves and honest in the presence of God, to assess ourselves without prejudice, to see which group, which group we belong to this Easter season. So let's look at the passage. It's taken, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to look at verses 18 to 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And I've given the title, The Message of the Cross. So verse number 18 says this, For the message of the cross is... Foolishness. Paul starts by saying that. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So it's important for us to understand what is the message of the cross. The message of the cross is the Messiah died according for our sins according to the Scriptures. It is His death his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his imminent return. That is the gospel. And the, and the message has been foretold from the beginning of Genesis throughout the scriptures. And you'll see that tomorrow evening when you come and come together for our Easter presentation. This message of the gospel is not a second thought of the Lord Jesus, of God Almighty. We see that in the book of Genesis, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and he, you shall bruise his heel. Talking about this, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, Isaiah, for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Talking about that he was stricken because of you and me for our transgressions. And again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, for what I have received, I passed on to you as a first important, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's gospel. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And Romans 10, 9, Paul says again that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Church, this message of the gospel is a very strange message. It's a very difficult message for us to understand. Why? Because the Messiah who comes to redeem us, the Bible says he would suffer for, for our sins of the people. It's a difficult message to comprehend. It is not only a difficult message, it is a disturbing message for us because this particular Messiah would be scorched and beaten, spit upon, mocked, stripped naked and nailed to the cross. And we can look at that, how it can be confusing to the people. The one who comes to rescue you is being mocked at and beaten and spit upon and, and stripped naked and nailed to the cross. It's a disturbing message to the people who are hearing that. But at the same time, it's a very simple message. It's a direct message to every one of us. And we heard that being read earlier, the sinner must accept by faith what the Bible teaches about Jesus and his atoning death on the cross. 
So let's examine the responses to the message of the cross. And I want you to pay close attention to this, of those who, how they responded to the message of the cross 2,000 years ago, and I want you to see how you are responding to the message of the cross today, in 2021. So let's look at verse 22 to 24. 22. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and, and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. In these three verses that we are looking at on the screen, we see there are three groups of people. We see the Jews, we see the Greeks, and we see the third group, those who are called. And we see that for the, there are three responses that we see. For the Jews, it's a stumbling block, this message. For the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, it is the power of God. Three categories of people with three responses. So the question we need to ask, church, is why is it a stumbling block for the Jews? Why is it? Because it is a stumbling block for even some of us, some of you who are watching online. The message of the cross is a stumbling block. Because the Jews, were, the Jews were looking for the Messiah, a descendant of David to come, to subdue the Gentile world, to establish the kingdom of God on earth. That is what they were expecting. For the Jews, they expected the Messiah to reign on the throne. Because they learned the Old Testament. They know it by heart. If you look at Psalm 132, it says, The Lord swore on, on oath to David, a sure oath he will, he will not revoke, one of your own descendants I will place on your throne. They heard this prophecy. In Isaiah it says, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. That is what the Jews were expecting. And again in Jeremiah 23, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for a David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely. That's what the Jews were expecting. That is the Jew, that, that is how they were expecting the Messiah to be. So the Jews stumbled over the cross because most of them were looking for the signs of power. Signs of power. Because there's a king coming to reign and a king coming to rule, a king coming to redeem you. What do you expect? Power. Because even in the Jewish history, it's filled with miraculous events. When they are expecting the Messiah to come, they are thinking, reflecting back on what happened to their ancestors, the forefathers in Egypt. How, did they, how were they rescued from Egypt? Miraculous signs. The power of God being demonstrated and displayed. And they were reflecting on what happened to Elijah and Elisha's. The power of God. All the victories that they encountered in the battlefield. They wanted Jesus to prove himself to them. So Jewish leaders repeatedly asked Jesus to perform a sign from heaven, but he refused. So like many of us today, we all need signs from God to believe. 
in him. To believe in the message of the gospel. We need signs. To be felt by the Jews, they could not imagine a crucified Savior. Church, it is difficult for us to understand what crucifixion meant to the Jews. Today, we have sanitized the cross and we have domesticated it. We gold-plate it and wear it around our necks. We put it, put it on earrings and, and it's in our stationaries. We hang on it crosses in our sanctuaries and on the steeples in our cars. We build churches in the shape of cross. All this could have been unthinkable in the first century. Unthinkable. So terrible was crucifixion that the word itself was not spoken in polite community. So certainly none of us today, we will not have a gas chamber or an electric chair as a noose or an ornament carrying on our necks, isn't it? The very thought sickens us. But that's what the cross meant for the Jews during that time. But that is why the Jews were scandalized by the cross. For the Jews, the thought of Messiah being crucified was unthinkable. They looked for a Messiah who would come like a mighty conqueror and defeat all their enemies. He would then set up the kingdom and return to glory to, uh, to Israel. This was the attitude of the Jews because their emphasis is on the miraculous signs and the cross appears to be a weakness. It was a stumbling block for them. But the problem was that they possessed some characteristics, church, that prevented them from seeing the Messiah when he appeared in person. Let me repeat that. Because that applies to some of us, maybe. The Jews possessed some qualities, some characteristics that prevented them, that did not allow them to see the Messiah when he really appeared and understand the scriptures the way it should be understood. Because when you look at some of the qualities were identified by Jesus himself. It's called the pharisaical behavior. And sadly amongst us, so-called Christians, we, have, we do have Christians who have this pharisaical behavior. So the question as I go through this, do we possess these qualities? A form of godliness and yet denying its power. See how they were identified. The first thing that we can see, the number of things you can talk about, their characteristics, but I just have picked a few just so that we can reflect on this. First thing is egoism. The self-righteousness and spiritual arrogance. You know, when they went to the temple and when they prayed, and you know how, how the Pharisee prayed and how the, how, the, how the other Samaritan or the Gentile prayed. Self-righteousness, spiritual arrogance. The second thing that you can see is dogmatism, assuming that doctrinal position were the epitome of absolute truth and that they alone enjoy God's approval. And when you, you, can, you can see that when that blind man was healed in John chapter 9, and when he said, I don't know who this person was, but all I knew was I was blind and I can see now. And he did it. 
For them it was difficult because they had an understanding of who this Messiah was. And the other one that we have, they have is the, is the super spirituality. Parading their piety about publicly and drawing attention to their diligent observance of religious rituals. For them, the rituals are more important. And then they are, they are very legalistic. They isolate themselves from everyone who did not share their commitment to ritual purity. There are Christians who will cast out others. Even within the Christian community. Saying they are not they don't belong to us. They don't look like us. They don't smell like us. They don't belong to us. Legalism. Then we have another, among the Jewish community, the pharisaical behavior is judgmentalism. Being harsh and unloving and ungracious and, and judgmental towards people who are, who are living in a sinful life. Church, I have said this many times, I'll say it again. This church is a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for saints. That is what we are called to, not to be judgmental. All the more reason the sinner should come into the church. Because if he doesn't come, where is he going to hear the gospel? We should love the sinners and hate the sin. And then another characteristic is hypocrisy. Jesus calls them the whitewashed tombs. So let me ask you a question. Are you a Jew or a Pharisee at heart today? Egoistic, super spiritual, dogmatic, judgmental, hypocritical. If so, this message of the cross is a stumbling block for you. Let's move on. The second group that we see here in verse number 22. For the Jews request a sign, the Greeks uh, seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and the Greeks foolishness. For the Greeks, it's foolishness. That's what it is. The second category of people. Human philosophy and wisdom, when you are trying to look at the message of the cross from that perspective, it looked to be foolish for them. The foolishness, the word foolishness comes from the original word moriah or moria from which we get the word moron. So to the unbeliever, the cross is moronic. It's absolute nonsense. I'm sure that many people are talking about that today in the community, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. Why? Because it conflicts with his own wisdom that God would become a man, be crucified on the cross, be raised to life in order to provide for man's forgiveness of sins and entrance into heaven. This is a, such a simple idea that appears foolish. Maybe this is how they see it. That how can the Son of God, the so-called Son of God, would die on a two pieces of wood? on an insignificant hill in a very common and ordinary city. And dying is one thing, and for us to say, and as a result, this will determine the destiny of every person who has ever lived. It's foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. So why is it foolishness to the Greeks? Because Greeks think that they might submit to God as soon as they can figure him out. Once I understand him, 
I will submit to him. They want God to fit into their minds before they will fit him into their lives. They look for philosophy as the answer to the deepest problems of life. The notion of man hanging on a cross to save the world was utter nonsense to them. Church, there was a time growing up, I was like that even though I came from a very Christian family and background and raised in that environment, but I was trying to understand God with my little mind. I came up with mathematical formulas to understand God. I thought I got it. Then you realize it's foolishness, even my efforts to understand God. Comprehend Him because I want to understand God so I can fit Him in into that God-sized vacuum that I have in my life. But here's what we, what we have. The problem is the natural man doesn't think scientific evidence is mere foolishness. He doesn't consider medical facts or mathematical equa equations to be foolish either. He clearly understands the factual nature of those formulas. We understand one plus one is two. We understand that. If we can understand God in the same way that we understand logic, then I'll accept him. Otherwise, it's foolishness. But when it comes to spiritual truth, natural man is in a way over his head. It's all over me. I cannot comprehend this. So we remain lost in the sea of spiritual pride and spiritual blindness and spiritual confusion. You know, God's word gives an answer for that. Look at this. Paul writes this. Why we are not able to comprehend this? Look at this passage. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Natural man cannot understand the things of God. It looks foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because, because, because they are spiritually discerned. Because they are spiritually discerned with our little brain and understanding, we cannot comprehend God. Therefore, it looks very foolishness to us. The man without the Holy Spirit will never get it. Church, I must admit that the day that I became a believer was the day that I was able to comprehend God in my little own mind. Because the revelation comes from the Spirit and Spirit alone. At the regeneration, the Holy Spirit comes to your life and it comes to live inside your body. He becomes His temple. Your body becomes His temple. This can only happen at the time of repentance and acceptance of Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. No wonder natural man doesn't get it. The only way to get is to believe the good news with childlike faith. To receive the gift of salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your soul. Without this transformation, there is no other way to grasp this supernatural message. You know what this tells us, church? That no point of just debating to prove the message of the cross. You're wasting your time. Speak the gospel. Speak the gospel. Do not try to understand or do not try to have a debate on the message of the cross. Because it is the Spirit that has got to reveal. And the Spirit can only reveal 
when there is conviction in their hearts. The Spirit can only reveal when that person accepts Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Why? Because it is only at that moment of time that the Spirit becomes an integral part of him. It comes and resides in him, and the Spirit will reveal it. And this is why a good number of uneducated people know far more spiritual truth than some highly educated folks. And Apostle John says this, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You do not need that anyone teach you. Not people to teach you. The Spirit will teach you. The Spirit, the Word of God will edify you. The message of the cross is on a higher level and a different frequency. See what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2.13. This is what we speak, not in, the, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The Spirit has to reveal things to us. It is no wonder natural man thinks spiritual truth is foolishness. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we would never understand it, let alone believe it. So in order for us to comprehend the message of the cross church, you need to have the Holy Spirit within us. In order for us to have the Holy Spirit within us, we need to be born again. If not, we'll never comprehend the message of the cross. It'll be foolishness to us. So we looked at two categories. The first, the Jews. For them, it was the stumbling block. Then the Greek, the intellectuals, for them it was foolishness. Now the third category, we are going to verse number 24. Look at verse 24 there. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It is the power of God. Those who are called is parallel to those who believe. Those believers, us who are being saved, that's what it means. That's the category of people. Part of being called is being able to hear God's call and being open to it. Those who respond by God's grace are granted His wisdom and power. The question is, what is the power of God? That's what we need to understand. Now for that I need to pick a passage from Peter, 1 Peter 2, 24-25. This is what Peter speaks of the power of God. Look at this who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So verse 24 says, as you look at this, Jesus bore your sin on the cross, and you must take him up on the offer. If you turn to him, what we are seeing here in this passage, having died to sins, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. That if you turn to him, you will be delivered from the penalty of sin, which God justly has purposed. So the first thing that we see what the power of God would do here, through Christ's death on the cross, those who turn to him are delivered from the penalty of sin. The sins, the, 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 the chains of sins are broken. Church, this is the greatest news that you can hear during this season. That your sins are forgiven. It's been wiped out. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law but under grace. It doesn't matter what sins that you have committed in your life. 
If you can truly come to him and repent and accept him and ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just. We see Paul writes to the Romans, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so the first thing we looked at is the penalty of sin is being, we are delivered from that. Second thing, verse number 25, look at this. It says, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, overseer of your souls. So what is the second thing that the power of God would do is that we are delivered from the power of sin. What is this passage there? Through Christ's death on the cross, those who turn to him are delivered from the power of sin. From straying like sheep, we are changed and we have been returned to the shepherd and our overseer of our souls. That's what they are seeing as the second thing that the power would do. We are made new creatures. There is no condemnation anymore. We see that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are no longer living bondage to sin. Again, we see in Romans, knowing this, that an old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin. So the first thing I said is we are delivered from the penalty of sin. The second thing, the power of God is delivering us from the power of, power of sin. The third thing that we see is that through Christ's death on the cross, those who turn to him are delivered from the presence of hell. Not only just the penalty is being paid, not only that we are freed from the power of sin, we have been delivered from the presence of hell. That is the beauty of this message. Look at John 5, 4, 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment and has passed from. Wow. Everlasting life. Romans 8, 1. There is no, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That's the third thing that we are seeing here. We are delivered, church, from the presence of hell. And the fourth thing that we see from the power of God would do to the believers through Christ's death on the cross, those who turn to him are delivered into the presence of God in heaven. Not only we are delivered from the penalty of sin, not only we are delivered from the power of sin, not only we are delivered from hell, now we are delivered into the presence of God. Look at Hebrews 19, uh, 10, 19. This is what the blood of lamb that we are celebrating today or remembering the blood that was shed for us. It unlocks the gates of glory. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You can only enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That is the message of the cross. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless he is born again, you shall never enter. You cannot see the kingdom of God. That's why when Jesus was going, telling the disciples, I am going to be crucified, I am going to encounter this death, I'm paraphrasing it. And when the disciples were anxious and worried and they were looking at it, Jesus turned back to them and he said, Let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God, you also believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Wow. We are delivered into the presence of God. Who? The believers. That is the power of God. When Paul talks about the power of God, that's what he means. Not only from the, from the penalty of sin, not only from the, from the power of sin, not only delivering us from the presence in hell, but also ushering us into God, into the presence of God. So now, church, as I close this message, we belong to one of these three categories. Either we are a Jew, or we are a Greek, or we are the called one. I don't know which category you belong to. So let me close with this. For the Jews is a stumbling block. For the Greek is foolishness. For the called is the power of God. I, I prepared a, a, a PowerPoint just so that he explains what I'm talking about. That's the message of the cross. We know what the message of the cross is. You can either be a Jew or you can be a Greek, or you can be a called one. You heard the three different groups of people. If you are a Jew, you may not be able to read that. If you are egoist, dogmatist, super spiritual, legalist, judgmental, hypocritical, you belong to that category. There will be a form of godliness in you but the power of God is not in you. Or you might be, now for, for that type of people, this message of the cross is a stumbling block. That's what he learned. Then we have the category of the Greek. They are, the, for them, the God concept is unintelligible. I cannot comprehend, I cannot fathom it with my little intelligence and my brains. It's inexplicable inconceivable, it's perplexing, I cannot understand it fully. For them, the message of the cross is foolishness. But who are the called ones? Called ones are the ones whose faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. For them, this message of the cross is the power of God. And what does the power of God would do? The power of God would relieve, deliver them from the penalty of sin, would deliver them from the presence of sin, would deliver them from the presence of hell, would deliver them into the presence of God in heaven. Church, for some reason that you are convicted that you belong to either one of these groups on the left or the right, if you can look at the cross, if you can look at the cross if you are a Jew the characteristics, if you, you possess that characteristics, if you can come to the faith in Christ alone, if you are someone who is challenged, challenged with the intellectual problems that you have, if you are a Greek, if you look at the cross alone, in faith alone, Christ alone, by grace alone, you become a called one. And you become a called one, you experience, you enjoy the power of God which will deliver you from the penalty of sin. It doesn't matter what sin that you have done. From the power of sin, 
It'll deliver you from the presence of hell. And ultimately, it'll deliver you into the presence of God in heaven. Worship team as you come. I'm going to encourage all of you to rise in and join the worship team as they lead in this final song. And then Brother Albert will come afterwards and he's going to lead us in a time of prayer. It's a beautiful song that's been selected. The Old Rugged Cross. So church, as the song is being sung, if you are convicted, if you feel that I don't belong to that call group, let this Easter season not pass by. Come to Him. Come to Him with a repentant heart. Say, God, I've been a Jew in my heart. I've been a Greek in my heart. And today, I want to be the called one. I want to be in your presence. So help me, God. And I want to tell you, if you truly come to Him, He's faithful and just. He's faithful and just. And today can be the day of salvation for you. Today, the message of the cross will become the power of God for you. God bless you. God be with you.